0: morning. am Pastor Kyle. I want to thank you all for being here today, especially our guests who are with us and those of you watching online from wherever you are in the world. We're just so glad that you uh, decide to spend some time with us. As Cole said, we're starting a new series called uh, Summer at the Movies. And so again, how fitting that we're in a movie theater. And uh, each of the Sundays that we'll be here, part of the message, one of the illustrations or some of the illustrations are going to come from some movies in our culture that help us convey a biblical truth. And so uh, today's movie is Unbroken. Uh, it's a World War II story based on a true life story and what f- better weekend to do that than Memorial Day uh, as we remember the men and women who have given their lives serving our country so that we can come together uh, and worship in freedom and in peace today. And so I want to honor them uh, as part of the message. Uh, just so glad that you're all here. Uh, usually when I start out my message I invite us to have a moment of silent prayer uh, that I would uh, deliver God's word, that we would all hear it and allow God to transform us. We're going to continue to do that today, but I want to add something new, maybe start a new tradition. Uh, our vision is to be the spiritual crossroads of this community. Uh, and we believe that God's calling us to reach people who are far from God and be connectors, connect people to God. And so I've asked all of us to create a list, uh, just a personal list of people that we care about and that we are concerned about that are far from God that we would love to see some way, somehow connect with God, whether that's through us or someone else or our church or another church or, or, or whatever. We, they're heavy on our hearts because they don't have a loving personal relationship to God. And so today I would just like to invite you uh, to get out your list or just if you have the, the list mentally, uh, to, just to pray for those people in this moment of silence uh, that God would get through to them. And then if it's God's will that, you know, if we're part of that process, that God would open the door for us. Maybe through sharing part of our story or inviting them to come to be a part of something that we're doing with the church or just doing something kind for them. And, and some of these folks we're going to be praying about for days and weeks and months, maybe even years. And some, today might be the day that God just opens up a channel to them And they surrender to God. And so if you don't have one of those lists, that's all right. You can go ahead and maybe that's what you're here to do today is come up with a list of someone that you care about that we just really want God to connect with. So just again, a moment of silence that we'll pray for the people on our list who are far from God, that God will connect them and maybe use us to be a part of that process. Uh, And then I would just deliver God's Word today out of the Scripture and that we would all hear it and allow God to truly uh, work transformation in our lives. So let's take a moment of silence together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Louis Zamperini was born to Italian immigrant parents in New York. Later in his life, uh, Louis's parents moved him and his family across the country to California. Uh, Louis was a young man and he didn't speak any English. He knew only Italian. Uh, He knew how things worked in New York. He didn't know how things worked in California. And so he was an easy target for other children to make fun of. And pretty soon he learned how to fight and how to defend himself. And he was getting into a lot of trouble and As he continued to grow into his teenage years and beyond, he was always getting into lots and lots of trouble until his brother really helped get a hold of him and helped him see that if he didn't change course, he was going to end up in a bad place. And so he helped Louis discern that he was good at running and that would be a good way to channel his energy. And so Louis became a great athlete and became a great runner. even to the level of being selected to be a part of the United States Olympic team in 1936 that went to Germany to compete. And Louis competed in a race and he didn't medal, he didn't get in the top three, but he finished eighth in his race. And during the last lap, he set a world record for speed in one lap. It was so impressive that the ruler of Germany, Adolf Hitler, requested an audience and met Louis himself. Not long after Louis had come back to the United States, we were in full war in World War II with Germany and and Japan, and we were on the Allied side. And Louis joined the Air Force, and he was part of a bombardier squad in a plane and was shot down over the Pacific Ocean. And he and two others from his crew survived barely, and they got into a life raft, and they would spend the next 47 days out on the open sea. One of them would not survive and would be buried uh, at sea by Louis and the other friend and survivor uh, of this plane crash. And they, they, would, they would survive on very meager small fish that they might be able to catch or some albatross birds that would land on on their uh, float or their raft and they would kill them and, and eat them raw. And, and they, they dwindled down about 65, 70 pounds each. And sharks were rampant and were Quite a problem in dealing with in those 47 days. Japanese planes would would fly over and and strife them with, with bullets. And Louis would lay in the raft at night and he would pray, God, if you're real, I don't know if you're real, but if you're real, God, get me out of this and I will, I'll promise you I'll serve you the rest of my life. Well, Louis and his friend were eventually rescued, but it wasn't a great rescue, it was by the enemy. It was a Japanese fleet that rescued him and they brought him to a prisoner of war camp which would become his existence for the rest of the war as he would go from camp to camp to camp. The the first camp that he was in was on what was known as Execution Isle and and all the American prisoners had just been executed by being decapitated, and they were Marines, and and the Japanese soldiers were telling Louis that's what they were going to do to him and his his buddy, and they would line up and they would beat them and torture them and mock them, and they would inject them with all kinds of drugs that they were experimenting with, and it was just it was literally hell on earth. And Louis would be transferred to another prisoner of war camp, and the commandant, his nickname was the Bird, and And he was one of the most evil commandants in all of the the prisoner of war camps. And and he developed an interest in Louis. And even when Louis was transferred to other camps, the commandant was transferred there to make sure to keep Louis in his place. And once they discovered that he was a United States American Olympian, they tried to use that and capitalize on that and and make Louis uh, say some propaganda in favor of Japan but against America. But he refused to do that. And it cost him very greatly through torture. Evil is real. War is literally hell, and it's full of torture. That would be Louis' existence, and worse for the rest of the war until it was over. Evil is real in our own lives. We encounter people who try to sabotage us at work, bullies at school. The evil that happened in Manchester, England this past week as a 20-something-year-old was brainwashed and went and blew himself up as a suicide bomber and killed over 22 people, most of them children and their parents who had gone to a concert to have fun. One of the victims, one of the little girls that died was eight years old. Her name was Safi. One of her teachers said that everyone loved Safi and that you know, she was quiet and unassuming and, and had a creative flair and that flair has been snuffed out. And we see the evil in the world and... And we ask ourselves the question, why does it exist and what can we do about it? Evil in war, evil in prisoners of war camps, evil in in terrorism, evil in our own schools, in our own workplaces, even in our own neighborhoods and families. And so we wrestle with that and we want to know what to do about that. And so today we're going to look into the Bible and see what it is that God would have us to be thinking and praying about when it comes to dealing with evil in our lives because it happens to all of us in some form or fashion. I want to start with a passage from Paul's letter to the Romans chapter 12 in which he says, Love must be sincere and to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Notice Paul doesn't say hate people who are evil or who do evil things, but it's okay to hate evil. It's okay to hate war. It's okay to hate torture. It's okay to hate that a a 20-something-year-old young man has thrown his life away by being brainwashed and wearing a suicide bomb into a a stadium to kill other people. It's okay to hate the fact that an 8-year-old girl, his life has been snuffed out and can never be taken back. It's okay to hate the evil that is in the world. In the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah is a spokesperson for God called a prophet. He says this, Learn to do right and seek justice. Defend the oppressed and take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. We fight for right. We, we work for justice, right? To, to make things right. There are consequences when we have certain actions and, and we do evil in the world and, and we need to stop that. We need to defend the oppressed. Right? A, a footnote for that passage of Scripture says that, that we are to correct the oppressor. Right? And so that's why we have government authorities who are police officers who keep the peace. And we have a, a court system that, that hands out consequences and, and has a sense of, of justice. Right? That's why we have a military to protect our nation against threats that are, that are harmful. And, and these are sanctioned and legal organizations. They're not perfect and they make mistakes and they're not always just. But their creation is to be just and to, and to fight against evil and to fight for for right and to make things right and to make things that, 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 are, that are broken to try and bring healing into that and, and to hold those who are doing wrong and evil things accountable. Someone needs to step up against murderers and rapists and, and abusers and terrorists. And, and that's why we have justice. And that's why it's okay if a teacher sees bullying going on in school and steps in to stop it and say, this is not right. That's why it's okay if we're in our neighborhood and and we see someone arguing with another neighbor and we step in to try to make peace. Or if it escalates to something more, we call the police and say, we we need to stop this. That's why it's okay that if, if someone is abusing us, emotionally or physically or sexually, that that we need to remove ourselves from the situation. if we can't do that on our own to cry out for help and to call the police and to call the authorities, that we're not supposed to just stand there and let other people abuse us. To stand up to evil, to work for justice in the world, to defend those who are oppressed, and to correct the oppressors then Jesus has some powerful words in the gospel that take it to a a, a level beyond that. That if you're like me, you you wrestle with. Because at at the surface, it seems almost impossible and counterintuitive to what we just read in Romans chapter 12 and in, in the passage of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Jesus is, he's teaching what's called the Sermon on the Mount and he's by the Sea of Galilee. It's a big lake in the northern part of Israel and it's surrounded by these really cool rolling hills and he's, he's teaching in amazing ways with this incredible authority and what he's doing is he's taking passages from, from his Bible, their Bible, which is our Old Testament and, and he's, he's talking about some of the rules in there and then he, he reinterprets them and in fact, he makes them harder and more challenging. And and when you see it, it's hard enough to do in the first place. And then Jesus goes and makes it even harder. And we sit there scratching our heads saying, well, why did you do that? And what does this mean? And how can it be good? So we're going to deal with one of those today, especially as 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 it relates to standing up to evil in the world, especially as it relates to the passages from Romans and Isaiah that we've looked at. So let's jump in and see what Jesus is teaching about in this Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So Old Testament times, a long time ago, right? There was this law, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And so if, if you harm somebody in this way, then the consequence is going to be something that's kind of equal to that, right? And this law was created so that there wouldn't be unbalanced retaliation. And all of this is not like through personal retaliation. It's still supposed to be meted out by a court system or, or that sort of thing, but... But anyway, let me give you an example. Let's say that uh, I'm working on my farm and uh, I accidentally kill your ox that is straight onto my property, right? The rule would be, well, then I would have to replace that ox with one of my oxen rather than you come across and say, oh, you killed my favorite ox. Well, I'm just gonna have to take five of yours to make up for that. Or you're over at my house and I accidentally, you know, shut the door on your hand and it breaks a couple of your fingers and, and the way for you to get back at me is to go to the court and say, well, you know what? He broke my favorite finger. I think we should break all the bones in his body. Do you see the, the, the unbalanced retaliation there? So this law was to kind of keep things like that in check, right? To keep it balanced as, as a system. So people probably nodding, yeah, Jesus, we know that. We live by that. That's fair. You do this, and this is the consequence, one to one. It's not ten to one or five to one or twenty to one. And here's where Jesus starts pushing it further. We continue on. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Well, Jesus, you had us when you started out with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but you just lost us. If someone smacks me in the, in the cheek, you want me to turn my other cheek and let them do that? Right? If, they, if they sue me for my shirt and you want me to give them my cloak as well? What's going on here? See, Jesus is talking to the people of Israel, and they're ruled by a foreign government, the Romans. And Roman soldiers pretty much had full authority and power to do anything to the people of Israel that they wanted to do. It wouldn't be uncommon for them to make a scene, to come up to somebody who has big standing in the community and smack them in the face just to say, I'm in charge here, and don't you forget it. So it's not like a fist fight. It's It's a shaming kind of a thing. And so Jesus is saying, if they do that, then turn the other cheek to them as well why would I want to do that, right? Then if they sue you for your shirt, give them your cloak, right? The cloak was the most important garment that the people of Israel wore. It's what really helped protect them and, 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 and keep them well. And you want me to give up my most valued piece of, of clothing? And Romans could make Israelites do whatever they want. Hey, I want you to carry this heavy load. We're going about a mile. I need you to do that, right? Jesus says, you know, say, you know what? I'll, I'll take it. Not just a mile. I'll go two miles. Whatever you guys need, right? Why are we doing that, right? So Jesus is is challenging us, I think here, to try and break the cycle of personal retaliation, right? right? The, the personal retaliation, like the guy cuts us off in traffic, makes us mad. We want to we chase them down and give them a bird or, or pull in front of them and you know, so how self-righteous we are and, and give them a talking to or, or just cut them off in traffic. Somebody insults our family and we're, just, we're not going to take that. We're going to insult their family. In fact, we might go over and punch them in the face. Right? Jesus is saying we need to stop the personal retaliation if you have a, a case against someone else, right? take it to the, the justice system. Work through the, the legal means in the right way. But don't take the, the law into your own hands. And in fact, it's an opportunity to show God's grace to someone, God's love. And, and what is grace? It's unmerited favor. It's doing something for someone that they don't deserve. And it might just shake them up enough. It might just shake them up enough that it stops them from being an evil person and causes them to examine their life. Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 12, these words, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. So Paul tells us that don't worry about getting back at someone. Don't worry about revenge or, or that, that retribution. God says, I've got this, and I'm going to take care of it. And we want to believe that, and we want to trust God, but sometimes we don't see how the other person gets what's coming to him, and so we want to take it into our own hands. And God's saying, trust me. Let me handle this. It says do good things to people who do wrong to you. If they're hungry, give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Like why? Because it's going to make an impact on their life. And I'll be honest with you. I struggle with these things. I struggle with these passages of Scripture. i, I, I much rather want to go to the first passage from Romans and the Isaiah passage like we got to stand up to these people and there is a place and time to stand up to people but sometimes in the personal relationship Jesus is calling us to be different and that's hard. So I've been thinking about what does that look like in real life and how do how do we deal with someone and what is what is a real life example and so uh, I just I want to share one to you from my life really it's more my wife's life and and how I think she's lived into the scripture in a way that probably I'm not able to do sometimes but she was able to do that and so My wife, Laura, uh, serves on the parent-teacher organization, PTO, at our son Luke's school. She's been doing this for three years, and she's in charge of staff appreciation. And she and her team of volunteers throughout the year uh, do things for the teachers and the staff, the custodians, the the principals, all those in the office, the administration, just to let them know that they're appreciated. And so they have meals for them, they have gifts for them, they they dote on them and do all these things. And Laura loves doing that and she's good at that and just wanted to share the love with these hardworking men and women who are taking care of our children. And so three years ago, we got redistricted uh, to this school. And so we are in with the new kids and all of the new parents. And then there was an existing group of parents and an existing group of kids. And, and they had a PTO and uh, the influx of the, of the cross-pollinization didn't go as smoothly as you might have hoped. And, you know, the new group has all these new ideas and the, the existing group has their own ideas. And, and so there's got to be some give and take. There's some compromise. We do some of the old things and we try some new things. And so anyway... In Laura's area, they did compromise and kept some of the old traditions, but they also did some new things, and for the most part, the teachers and the staff, and they loved all the the neat things, the the great things that were done for them, but there's one member of the administration, and she was adamant that the new stuff, just not supposed to do that. Whatever ways that she could, she would resist Laura and her team's efforts at doing this, and and she's an instrumental part of, of the school, and so a lot of times it was passive-aggressive behavior. And one of those examples is that we'd have parents bring in all these gift cards or items to give to the teachers at a certain time. And we'd distribute them out in all this, this certain way to make sure it's equitable and all that sort of thing. And, and they'd come in, and, and this person would be in charge of them, and, and they'd go missing. And, well, no, we, we didn't get enough of those. And, and, oh, I just found them after it's almost too late to, to put Laura and her team in an awkward position of to trying to, to squirm at the end. And so every major event, something like that happened. It was driving me crazy. I'm like, what are you going to do about that? Because right. I get to hear about it at home, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what are you going to do about that? That's just not cool. And so you know, I was so proud of Laura. And, and just, uh, you know, she continued to say, you know, we're honoring some of the traditions that we've done. I know you're not excited about the new traditions, but we're going to try to do some of these things and, and work with you as best as possible. Right. She never cussed her out. She never blessed her out. She stood firm. She needed to stand firm. She confronted her when she needed to confront her. And she also just tried to love her. And she would take her special gifts and and do nice things for her and uh, one day, she even did like a whole bulletin board that they have there in the school. As everybody walks by, she did a bulletin board to celebrate people in the school who do great things. And so she put a big picture of this lady up there and just you know thank you for what you're doing. And and, and she meant it because this lady does a lot of good things for the school. And so you know just to, to show God's love and kindness to somebody who's totally working against you in what you're trying to do. And and this I, I call this the reverse posterization. You guys know what it means to be posterized, like if you're an athlete you want to get your picture taken doing something really cool so that you'll be on a poster and millions of people will put you on their walls. You know, like if you're, if you're a basketball player, you know, you want to do a slam dunk. Well, the opposite of this is you don't want to be the athlete that's uh, getting dunked on, right? Because you're getting posterized. So like we got a picture of LeBron James dunking on this guy. He's a, he's a Boston Celtic. And uh, the guy who's getting dunked on He's being posterized, and and he doesn't want to be on millions of people's walls looking up at LeBron James, dunking over him, saying, I'm better than you, and I got you in this moment, right? And so the athletes want to be on top of the poster. They want to be the guy getting dunked on or whatever. So Laura flipped this. She reverse posterized this, right? She took the lady who's been, in essence, her enemy, the thorn in her side for three years, and, and all along the way, she tried to make her feel special, And I'm like, honey, you're a better person than I am because that would be incredibly difficult to do. And their relationship's gotten better. The sabotage has gotten less, but it still happens. But I think God tries to use us to break these cycles. Because what if Laura would have started cussing her out or started doing negative things back to her, started playing passive-aggressive to her, it would just escalate and escalate and escalate. Who's going to suffer? Right? Laura's going to suffer. She's going to suffer. The teachers uh, and the other administrators are going to suffer. It's just not going to go well. Right? So I think that's what God means by trying to break the cycle of retaliation and doing good for those who do wrong to us. And it's hard. But Jesus holds us to a higher standard, those of us who follow Christ. So we continue with Jesus' words in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. God causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? IRS even had a bad rep in Jesus' day. And if you greet only your own right people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? So Jesus is saying, don't just love people who love you, love your enemies, right? Pray for people who do wrong things against you. And Jesus, what do you mean love our enemies? What does that look like? How can I love somebody who works for ISIS? How can I love somebody who's trying to sabotage me at work? How can I love somebody who's bullying me at school? What does that look like? Because right? that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. And I don't think love means a warm, fuzzy feeling, I think it's an action, and I read a really cool description about that in a biblical commentary I want to share with you. You might want to get your phones out take a picture of this because I think this is awesome. Love is an unconditional commitment, right? No strings attached, right? I will love you if you're nice to me. I will love you if you say nice things about, you, about, about me. I will love you, right? No strings attached, an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person in which I bring, give myself to bring the relationship to God's intended person purpose. This person is not perfect, but God's put me in front of them. So what's God's will for us in this relationship? Is it to fight? Is it to fuss? Is it to escalate? Is it to be mean and nasty? Or is it to find a way forward together where we can treat each other better? Or maybe God's intention is that we don't need to be in a relationship because we just can't see anything good coming out of it. We just need to part ways, right? Maybe that's God's answer, but we don't want to elevate or escalate So that's challenging. But but the other part of that scripture, it says that God causes the sun to rise on all people, us and our enemies. God causes it to rain, to have goodness in in the rain and and replenish the earth for us and for our enemies because God loves all people. God has created all people in God's image and, and God wants every person to be reconciled back to God. And I think another part of this scripture that it would be easy for us to miss is that there's somebody in the world right now who, when we say, love your enemy, be kind to those who persecute you, that your or my face pops up and that we're their enemy. Right? We're somebody's enemy in the world right now. You are, I am. No matter how good looking we are, no matter how nice we are, no matter how much we say, bless your heart, right? we are somebody's enemy. And when they go to bed, We're what they stress out about. We're who they don't want to see. We're who they're holding a grudge against. And maybe it's from something a long time ago. Maybe we're their enemy because we're an American citizen. Maybe we're their enemy because we're a Christian. Maybe we're their enemy because we are in this job position or we live in this house or this neighborhood or we wear this sort of clothing, right? Or maybe we're their enemy because we've done something wrong to them and it hurt them and they're they're hanging on to that. Thanks be to God that Jesus died for all of us. That God sent Jesus into the world to die on a cross and to come back to life so that all of us can be reconciled to God and be reconciled to each other because we're all capable of doing evil in the world. And we all do evil in the world at some point. And so, thankfully, God loves us too, just as God loves our enemies and God wants us to be reconciled. And that's a hard truth to know that we're enemies to someone, but, but thanks be to God He loves us anyway. So Louis Zamperini, he's been in prison of war camps through the whole end of World War II. The Allies end the war. They come in, they rescue Louis, and he goes home a hero. He goes home unbroken, right? The bird was not able to break him. He never rolled uh, or turned against America. He never turned against his fellow prisoners of war. He stood up and faced all the torture and everything that, that they could throw at him. So he comes home, in essence, a war hero and unbroken, but not really. He comes home and he's given a hero's welcome. He kisses the ground, literally. He falls in love with a woman. They get married. They have a child very quickly, a little girl, and everything looks right in his life. But Louis is far from being unbroken. In fact, he is so broken, he doesn't even know how to deal with his life. Every night when he goes to sleep, he has nightmares of the bird and all the torture that went on. And, and the only thing that comes up in the, at the end of that nightmare, every time that he has a dream, it's this nightmare and he's choking the bird and he's just wanting to choke the life out of this man who's tortured him and given his life, turned it into a living hell. Until one night he literally wakes up and he hears a scream and his hands are around his wife's neck and he's strangling her and he almost kills her because of his post-traumatic stress disorder that he has no clue of what's going on or how to deal with. And he's started drinking. He's becoming an alcoholic. He's a danger to his wife. He's a danger to his daughter. And so his wife says, honey, I love you, but I am leaving. I am out of here. I'm going to get a divorce. And he's like, I don't blame you. But later that week she comes back and something's changed and... She says, Louie, I went to this, this revival, this tent revival, and this guy named Billy Graham was there, and and he, he told about God and this, and this, this power of Jesus that he sent his son into the world to die on a cross and to come back to life so that we could be in a right relationship with God and and all of the guilt and shame and bad stuff in our lives can be forgiven and, and, and thrown away. And we can live great lives. And, and we can be a part of something awesome and great. We can even live forever in the kingdom of heaven. And I've given my life to Jesus, Louis. And I believe that he wants me to stay with you and not divorce you and to fight for our marriage. And that's what I'm going to do but I need you to come with me tonight to hear this man speak about God. And Louis like, there's no way I'm going to go hear this guy speak about God. Long story short, she drags him there, kicking and screaming. He hears Billy Graham talk about the love of Jesus. And Louis surrenders his life to Christ. He remembers the promise that he made on the life raft so long ago when the sharks were trying to get him and he's, he's almost dead. And if you could get me out of this, God, I will serve you for the rest of my life and... And Louis's life has completely changed. It starts, in fact, at this point. It starts right now. And Louis is able to forgive what happened in Japan. He's able to stop having the nightmares. He's able to stop drinking because he surrendered to Jesus. Because, brothers and sisters, the brokenness of Christ is what defeats evil in the world. The brokenness of Jesus. He defeated evil on the cross when he came back to life. The war is over. Right? There's still battles that we're fighting, but the war is over. And Louis came to know this. And as soon as he surrendered to Christ, the nightmares stopped. And he was able to fly over to Japan and meet with some of the guards that were abusing him. And he forgave them. This is not in the movie. It's in the book. It's in reality. Louis was able to forgive them. They didn't deserve it. They didn't even ask for it but he was able to forgive them and to let it go and to find peace in his life. And he wanted to forgive the bird, but the bird wouldn't meet with him. But Louis was able to forgive him anyway, this man that made his life a living hell. And I want to show you a video clip of real life Louis near the end of his life as he's meeting with Pastor Greg Glory, and he talks about how he was able to finally forgive the bird. Check this out. When you went back to Japan,
1: you you shared the gospel with some of the very guards that mistreated you, and you wanted to meet the bird, but you were told the bird was dead. He wasn't, but you didn't know that at the no, time. But you wrote him a letter. Do you have that letter with you? I, yeah, I brought it with me. This is the letter that Louis wrote to the bird. You want me to read it? You want, would you okay. read it, please? Okay. This is to Matsushiro Watanabe. As a result of my prisoner of war experience under your unwarranted and original punishment, my post-war life became a nightmare. I, it was not so much due to the pain and suffering as it was to the tension of stress and humiliation that caused me to hate with the vengeance. Under your discipline, my rights not only as a prisoner but also as a human being were stripped from me. It was a struggle to maintain enough dignity and hope to live under the war's end. The post-war nightmares caused my life to crumble, but thanks to a confrontation with God through the evangelist Billy Graham, I committed my life to Christ. Love replaced the hate I had for you, and Christ even said, forgive your enemies and pray for them. As you probably know, I returned to Japan in 1952 and was graciously allowed to address all the Japanese war criminals at Tsugamo Prison. I asked them about you and was told that you probably had committed harakiri, which I was sad to hear. At that moment, like the others, I also forgave you, and now I would hope that you would also
0: become a Christian. Amen. That's a forgiveness. Wow. That's why I showed that clip in the beginning to see all the evil that happened to him and then to show the clip at the end to see how he had come full circle. To be able to forgive. I think one of the greatest ways we can fight evil is to find a way to forgive those who have wronged us. When they don't deserve it, when they don't ask for it, even when justice has not been done, at some point God says we have to surrender them and surrender that hate and that anger and all that stuff that we've got inside of us and offer them forgiveness just like Louis forgave those who tortured him. And I think, in a way, forgiveness is really also for us because it sets us free. I don't know about you, but some of the people that I've been the most angry at and the the most evil things that have been done for me, towards me, I've carried for years after year after year. And and I've given these people power over me by reliving moments again and again that they've probably long forgotten or don't care about. Until I was able to surrender to God and say, you know what, I've got to let that go. So maybe the message for you today is the way to fight evil is to find a way to forgive someone in your life who has totally wronged you and totally doesn't deserve to be forgiven. But because Jesus died on the cross for all of us, He makes it possible for us to receive and to give forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, if you remember one thing from today's message, I want it to be this next, next passage of Scripture from Paul in Romans 12. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by terrorism and bombings. Do not be overcome by an evil boss or a bully at school. Do not be overcome by someone who has abused us and and done horrible things to us. And, And Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. All right, so what I would ask you to do this week is to look and ask God for, for the opportunity to blow open a broken moment. right? To, to just blow open a, a broken moment. A broken moment where someone has hurt us or there's, there's evil on the rise or evil has been done or something is just, is just not right. And to just to blow it open and say, God, breathe new life into this. So for some of us, that might mean that we, we see someone being bullied at school and we blow into that and we, we step in and say, this is not right. We need to stop that. Or maybe for some of us, we are in a, an abusive situation and someone's hurting us and maybe we need to say, God, blow it open and give me the courage to ask for help to get out of this situation. I need to ask someone for help or call the police or just remove me. Give me the courage to get out of this situation. For some of us, it might mean that we need to pray for someone who's our enemy. That we just can't stand to work with or live beside or, or be in the same family with. Maybe it's for, for that neighbor or that coworker that we just we don't like seeing. That, that we find out what their favorite dessert is and we bake it and we take it to them tomorrow. And they're like, what are you doing that for? Because I just want you to know that I want things to be better between us. For some of us it might mean forgiving somebody. It might mean forgiving somebody who's done something horrible to us, again, that doesn't deserve it, that doesn't ask for it, that doesn't want it, that hasn't had justice brought into their life, but we need to forgive them to let go and to, and to stop giving them power over our lives and, and to receive God's peace. God, give me a broken moment to blow wide open and, and breathe new life into. Like Pastor Kyle's wife who was able to, to reap deposterize. Right, this this woman who's just a bane in her existence to to be like Louis and and to have a forgiving heart to forgive someone who's done something incredibly awful or to be like Jesus and to be self sacrificing on a cross and we carry our own cross and ask Jesus for help right and letting people go and, and forgive them for something that they've done right. How can we stand up to evil, to ISIS and terrorism and and gun violence and vandalism and and people bullying us and making fun of us and sabotaging us and just outright just being nasty and mean. How do we overcome evil? We overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but with God. Overcome evil with good. Amen.